you do not want me to sing this. I did not mention this when I was mentioning our prayer request this morning because I knew that Miss Abby had to come up and sing. But I have another prayer request for you this week. This is a big week. This is the week that most or many of our college students go back, go back, or in the case of Miss Abby and Miss Lakin and Miss Alex, go for the first time to college. I know that it's this week because they are all going on or around my birthday, which is not a great birthday present, to be honest. But be praying for our college students as they prepare to go back to school or go for the very first time. And in particular, be praying for the mamas and the daddies and the grandparents that are going to have to drive to places with them and drive away without them. Um, I regret to inform you that none of them are going to a good school. But we love them anyway, and I'm sure that they'll be fine, even if none of them will know the joy that is Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thank you, Abby. We remember you this week. Lakin, we remember you. And we want you to know that you go with our love and with our prayers. And we will always be your home church. Always. Sometimes things happen in life, and life can get a little sour, right? That's the, the, the whole basis of this phrase that we know, right? When life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? When life gives you something that's not terribly pleasant on the front end by itself, figure out a way to make something maybe not even pleasant, maybe delightful out of it. Because to be honest, a good glass of cold lemonade on a hot day isn't just passable, is it? It's wonderful. It's refreshing. It's delightful. It's, it's great. And so, so sometimes life can hand us sourness. And what we do with that and how we process that is important. And if you spend any time on, online or on social media or, or reading pop psychology, you're going to have 86 different ways that the world tells you to take lemons and turn it into lemonade. But would it not be better for us to turn to God and to his word and to figure out what it is that he has to say about taking trials and tribulations and the sour points in life and with him, by him, through him and his word, finding the sweetness in it. We're going to read and be with Psalm 23 this morning. Now, I have a pretty firm rule when I use Psalm 23 in a, in a, in a funeral to always use the King James. 
But this morning, we're not going to use the King James. We're going to read from the Christian Standard, the same translation I use every Sunday, because it's close enough that you're going to know exactly what it's supposed to be, but the words are different enough that maybe you will be able to hear this beloved psalm for the first time with fresh ears. So will you stand with me as we read Psalm 23 together? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the paths, the right paths, for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we come before you this morning, many of us come to you in the midst of our own dark valleys. God, some of us come to you this morning holding a whole bag full of lemons. Some of us come this morning needing you. Some of us come this morning needing your word in our life. So God, my prayer is this morning as we open your word and as we study it together that we will find rest, that we will find comfort, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. About a year ago, I think, maybe maybe a little longer than that, um, we were on a on a on a road trip and looking for an audiobook to listen to. And I just so happened to stumble across um, this book called The Shepherd's Life by a gentleman by the name of James Rebanks. Uh, uh, James Rebanks is a, a shepherd in northwest England. He is in that area of England that's known as the Lake Country. If any of you remember Wordsworth and Coleridge and, and sort of those guys, those English romantic poets, they spent a lot of time in the Lake Country. That's actually where Wordsworth's house is. And so, so it's a, this beautiful area, but traditionally it has been an agricultural and, and farming area. And in particular, sheep farming, shepherding. And it's interesting to, to read what James has to write about what it is to be a shepherd in modern, contemporary, current England. Because in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a throwback, isn't it? I mean, it? It's hard to think of a, of a less technological way of being than raising sheep. In particular, the way that James raises sheep, which is this very 
traditional way of doing it. Because he, he discovered early on that if he was going to keep his family farm afloat, he had to go back to the old ways of doing things. The, the, the modernization was actually driving them out of business, and they needed to go back to the, to the classic ways of doing things. But as he, as he writes the book, I mean, this book, is, it's this wonderful memoir about how this high school dropout ends up becoming an Oxford grad and a shepherd. And, and I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, truly delightful uh, book. Um, it is written by an Englishman, so the language can be rough in places. But, um, but it is this just truly fascinating book. But one of the things that I loved about it is, is these, he, he's telling his story, and then he intersperses it with these stories and, and these bits about the sheep and this particular kind of sheep that he raises. It's a heritage breed. But one of the things that is really driven home in this book is how thoroughly awful sheep are. They are dumb as posts. The, the, the traditional way in this area of England, to, to, in the hills, to, to, to farm the sheep is to basically turn the sheep out on, on, the, on the hill, on the mountain, for, for months and months and months at a time. It's a very sort of hands-off approach. But one of the things that happens, particularly when they're trying to bring the sheep back in, is they'll send their dogs out. And James, James makes a point that the shepherd is only as good as his dog. And so they'll send their dogs out to bring the sheep in. And so most of the time, when they're not under pressure, the sheep are fine. But when they get under pressure, they make stupid decisions. Like, of course I can jump over this six-foot crevasse. I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep. They're not the most graceful, nimble, athletic of animals. And they get themselves stuck and in all sorts of danger and trouble. And then it's the job of the shepherd to go and to find them and to rescue them and to get them out of this trouble. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, that, that for many of us, if you haven't spent time around sheep, we can think that when the Scripture over and over and over again compares us to sheep, that it's, it's a nice, lovely image, right? Because what do we have in our brain of sheep, many of us? We have, you know, Mary's little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go, right? This is a sweet, fluffy little cotton ball of a thing. But remember who Jesus is talking to, who, the, who Scripture is talking to. They're talking to people who are actively shepherds. Go spend some real time with real sheep in a real pasture, and you'll discover that the fleece is not white as snow. It's dirty and matted with its own filth. And like I said, sheep are dumb. It's, it's not a compliment, brothers and sisters, when God says that we are sheep in need of a shepherd. He's saying a very specific thing about us, about human beings. But here's the thing. Not only does he say that we're sheep, though, he tells us that we have a good shepherd. As I read from John 10 earlier, Jesus says that, right? I am the good shepherd. 
a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd knows what needs to be done to save the sheep and is willing to go to any extreme to get the sheep home and get the sheep to safety. What we have is not just God insulting us by calling us sheep, but by saying, yes, you are sheep and I love you because I am your good shepherd. I will guide you and protect you in the valleys of life. And so we see this this psalm, Psalm 23, written by David, written by a man who had spent the, the first years of his life as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I have what I need. God gives us satisfaction. You know, one thing that sheep don't, don't worry about, they don't worry about the next day. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that sheep don't even understand there is going to be a next day. Sheep are very here. This patch of green grass. And I'm going to munch on it until it's gone, and then I'm going to go to the next patch. They never sit around and, and question, well, well, is the shepherd going to get us to green grass tomorrow? The shepherd does that because that's what the shepherd does. And so the sheep do not worry about tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency of worrying about tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. I, I, have, a, I have this incredible ability to look three, four, five years down the road and, and just know how where we're going now will lead us to absolute and utter doom and destruction. My personality. Not a great personality, but it's mine. But sheep, don't, sheep who have a good shepherd don't worry about it. You know, the Scripture tells us that we should not worry about tomorrow either. In, in, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? Consider the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. Does, does God not feed them? Does God not clothe them? And how much more valuable are we to Him than mere flowers of the field or birds of the air? God has promised to supply all of our needs. And when we are living in His plan and in His design, when we, when we are, are seeking His will, He will provide. Even when we don't understand and think we know how that's going to happen. This is one of those days where I'm very glad that my parents don't regularly watch, although today will be the day they watch. Just, just count on it. I love my father, but my father is perhaps one of the cheapest human beings who has ever lived. That man can squeeze together two pennies and get change for a 50-cent piece out of it. He is very meticulous and precise about his money. It's also what he did for a living. He negotiated and managed contracts for the United States Air Force. Had to be. 
I give you that information so that when I tell you this story, you understand why it affected me the way that it did. When I was a, when I was a child, he was on the administrative board for the Methodist congregation that we were members of at the time. And, the, and the, the, the church felt very strongly that God was calling them into a certain direction, but it was going to cost money. And, and the pledge drive that they had just had, the stewardship pledge drive, had not pledged enough money to meet the budget. And so they were having the meeting, were they going to continue to propose this budget, or were they going to modify it and cut it back? And so when he came home, we asked the question, well, what did y'all decide to do? Well, we're going to propose the budget. Let me tell you, I was shocked because I know how meticulous. You don't spend more money than you have. Ultimate rule. Right? And so I asked him, I said, well, why? And he said, because we are convinced that this is what God wants us to do and God will provide And guess what? They passed a budget that they didn't have the pledges for, and they ran a surplus at the end of the year. God will provide our needs. We need to sometimes stop worrying about whether or not we can do something and worry about what it is that God wants us to do. The shepherd lets me lie down in green pastures. He he leads me beside quiet waters. The shepherd gives me serenity. You know, one of the things that happens with sheep, they're not good at self-regulation. They'll sit out in the sun all day and, and not rest. It just honestly sort of doesn't occur to them to rest. And so the, the, one of the things that a good shepherd does is a good shepherd leads them to quiet places where they can rest, where they can lay down and take a break and, and cool down. So that maybe is green pastures. Well, what is this about quiet waters? Well, one of the other things about sheep, right, is everything startles them. And, and, and particularly in, the, in the, the, the Middle East, there's not a lot of rushing quick water, certainly that's safe. You have some of these wadis, these dry stream beds uh, in Israel that when you'll have a big rain, they will fill up and they become very dangerous. And so the sheep have learned to be scared of rushing water, but they still need to drink, don't they? And so the shepherd knows where to find the quiet water, the still water, the safe water, so that they can drink. Sometimes we have a hard time knowing when to slow down and when to rest. We can go and go and go and go. Sometimes we're even going for good things, right? We can, we can, we can find ourselves in a situation where we're, we're at church three, four, five nights out of the week doing good things. But until we stop and rest and take a break, we're going to burn ourselves out. 
I'll be honest with you. I had a realization this week that between doing things here at the church over the last couple of months and and between our family and our boys, I have not been taking the personal one-on-one time that I should be to spend and rest with God. Sort of hit me like a, a bit of a tree branch right in the face this week. And I found myself this week frustrated and dangerously close to just being burned out. Because I had not taken the time to, to rest with the shepherd. And when we take that time to, to sit with him and to rest and to meditate and to pray and to read his word, he gives us his peace, his serenity. He renews my life. He, he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. You know, one of the problems that sheep has, one of the reasons that they can get themselves into trouble is because they don't have terribly good eyesight. So sometimes the danger that's coming, they don't even see that they're getting themselves into trouble. They don't even see that they're getting into danger. They have a a poor sense of direction. And so they need the shepherd to, to lead them on the right paths. There are all sorts of paths in life, aren't there? There are the right paths, and there are the wrong paths. And I know that it's not popular or politically correct to say that there are some paths that are right and there are some paths that are wrong, but can't we all admit from experience that that is true? There are paths that lead to flourishing and there are paths that lead to destruction. There are paths that lead to hope, and there are paths that lead to despair. And brothers and sisters, there is a path that leads to life, and there are a multitude of paths that lead to death. We need help to find the right path on our own, with our poor eyesight, with our, our, our blindness, our spiritual blindness. We will never find the right path on our own. We need the shepherd to guide us, to lead us to where we need to go. To take us the right paths. Not only does He take us along the right paths, but He also renews our life. He he renews our strength. Because what happens when we take the wrong path? Well, if we're a sheep, we take the wrong path and we end up cut up and scraped and bruised and, and wounded, don't we? And, and, and when we when we as people take the wrong paths spiritually or, or emotionally or, or ethically or morally or, or whatever, we end up just as broken and battered and bruised and cut up as if we had taken the wrong hiking trail. And so God finds us. And not only does He lead us back to the right path and set our feet on it, but he also 
binds us up, tends our wounds, nurses us until our strength and our life is renewed so that we can walk that right path with Him. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice the the, the inevitability of this statement. Even when I go through the darkest valley. Not if I go through the darkest valley. But when... I go through the darkest valley. Brothers and sisters, there is no promise in Scripture that we will never go through the darkest valley. There is no promise in Scripture that everything is going to be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. Man, I I wish that was the case. Right? (laughs) Don't you wish that was the case? That everything was lollipops and daydreams? But Scripture is clear. When... I go through the darkest valley. I fear no danger. Again, notice the inevitability of the darkest valley and the inevitability of the danger. I will fear no danger. Not there will be no danger. I will fear no danger. You know, it's not the danger that gets us most of the time, is it? It's not the danger that can throw us off the right path. It's not the the danger itself that can lead to our destruction. It's our fear of the danger, isn't it? It's it's our, our fear that can control us. Which is why the constant refrain when angelic beings come to humanity in Scripture is what? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Over and over and over again, that is the refrain from God. Because fear, fear is the real danger. Fear is the the real problem. But even in that, even in that, that darkest valley, even in the midst of the danger, God is with us. And then we get to the, the second portion of this. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. I want to be very clear. When, when it says rod, it's the same rod they're talking about in, in Proverbs when it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, we have this idea that the shepherd comes along and he loves us and he talks sweetly to us. Okay, baby. Okay, you ended up on the wrong path. So what I need you to do is I need you to come with me. Yeah, come on. Oh, here's a tree. Yeah, here's a tree. Come on. That's not what a good shepherd does, is it? What a good shepherd does is he takes his stick and he beats you on your butt until you get in line. That's the rod. And the staff, we, we know stabs, the, the, the shepherd's staff, right? We're used to that. The, the shepherd's crook. 
you know what that, that, the, the crook is for? It's not just so there'll be an interesting curve in the midst of a, of a Christmas pageant. The, the hook was to, to get in there and get around the sheep and, and get them out of trouble, to pull them up out of that ditch that they've run themselves down into. A shepherd's crook is the first century equivalent of a truck with a good winch on the front. That's what the crook is for. To pull you up out of the mess that you find yourself in. And so notice what happens here, right? Though I walk through the darkest valley, I, I fear no danger because you are with me. And that's, David connects that directly with the rod and the staff with the correction. This is David we're talking about. David is corrected a few times by God, is he not? David is also plucked out of mistakes of his own making a few times by God, is he not? David knows of what he speaks here. Sometimes we need that rod, we need that discomfort to protect us from the evil. We need that discomfort to remind ourselves to know that that's not the way that we want to go. God is a loving God. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but that does not mean that the good shepherd is all platitudes and, and saccharine. But he still protects us from evil. And he lifts us when he falls. He gives us safety. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The good shepherd gives sustenance. You know, there can be all sorts of dangerous things in the field, in the pasture for the sheep things that are poisonous and not good for them. And a shepherd would, would literally rip up the poisonous plants and burn them to prepare the, the table for the sheep. He would, he would apply healing oil to their wounds. God, God will take care of us. God will remove the dangers from us. He, he will sustain us and he will heal us when we are, the cleansing healing oil of the holy spirit is applied to our hearts when we're hurt and wounded only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord as long as i give the good shepherd gives security we go back to the very beginning Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. What is it that, that can cause us to fear, can cause us to, to be the most upset in life? It's a feeling of lack of security. Everybody needs security. We, we, we have a need to feel safe. We have a, <laughs> we have a need sometimes to, to feel 
our mother's arms wrapped around us. And then we can finally fall asleep and rest. We need that feeling, don't we? And so we know that that we have security. We have security not just here, but we have eternal security. Security in eternity for those who know the shepherd, who hear his voice and who respond to it. God, the good shepherd, gives us security. He's our shepherd. He guides us and protects us in the valleys of life. And so when we, when we find ourselves holding a basket full of lemons, holding a, a basket full of sourness, a, a basket full of dark valleys and wounded hearts and broken legs and shattered minds and fear, if we'll just trust the Good Shepherd, In our times of struggle and weakness, He will provide. He will get us through, and we can rest and lean in Him. Brothers and sisters, the the sheep are safe and protected and get where they need to go because they trust the shepherd. But if the sheep don't trust the shepherd, the shepherd cannot save them. The shepherd cannot help them. The shepherd, the sheep can't do it on their own. They have to let the shepherd do the work. So our question today is will you let the shepherd do the work? Will you trust the Good Shepherd? And will you admit, will I admit that I'm dumb and dirty and liable to get myself in all sorts of trouble when I do it on my own? But when I listen for the voice of my Shepherd, I will find myself in green pastures with quiet waters, safe and rested and secured and in the loving embrace of my good, good shepherd. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 62, All the Way My Shepherd Leads Me. All the Way My Shepherd Leads Me. If this morning you wish to make a 